Hey y'all, what's up? This is Celeste. Um, welcome to season three. This is actually kind of like a hard reset. This is not technically the premiere of season three. I started season three last year around the same time when I launched my YouTube channel. Um, but because of COVID, the studio that I was using to record, the podcast shutting down, um, and just basically having to crack down and focus on life, like figuring out how to navigate um, a global pandemic, you know, getting through PhD coursework, raising my daughter, going to work every day at a job that I was just pretty much over, um, kind of forced me to do a hard reset. And so um, I basically stopped and put a hard pause on the podcast and then decided to relaunch this season um, in the end of, like towards the end of September. So here we are. Um, so I just kind of want to start off by first and foremost, giving a few updates about my life. I've been through a lot in the last year. Um, I'm finally, you know, in my last semester of PhD coursework and I'm getting closer to that point in time where I need to start seriously thinking about what I'm going to write my dissertation about. And I really honestly feel that, um, talking about and discussing colorism is something that I'm really passionate about. So I've decided to essentially dedicate that dissertation process to really kind of exploring the complexities of colorism, specifically as they pertain to black women and African-American women at that. Um, but I'm really excited in the direction that this podcast is going. Some of the different projects that I'm doing with the podcast, some of the different things that I'll be launching in the near future and over the next, you know, six months or a year. Um, and it's, you know, it's been really rewarding for me to really kind of dive into those pursuits and to really kind of start fleshing out and bridging how I'm going to relate this podcast to my academic pursuits and start really branding and further branding my intellectual property. But um, before we get into all that, I kind of want to start off by just saying fuck Tory Lanez in this entire situation. Please do not stream that bullshit ass album. If you want to know what he's saying, go to Rap Genius and look up the lyrics. Please don't give him any streams, any clout, any attention because of the things that he did. Um, the fact that he would release an album in the midst of all the trauma that Megan has had to endure behind the situation and essentially try to make it profitable for himself is really just quite disgusting, to be very honest. It's just kind of sick and it's just really disgusting. Um, I've been kind of following this trend in pop culture. I was actually at the shade room last night and I saw that um, Slim Jimmy of Race Remond or however you say their name, uh, apparently knocked his girlfriend's tooth out, got so mad that he punched her and knocked his girlfriend's tooth out. And you know how hard you have to punch somebody to knock a tooth out? And I just, you know, there's this trend of men thinking that they can put their hands on women. I'm just kind of, or assault women or, you know, like this nigga fucking shot this girl in her fucking foot. Like, what are you doing? Are you serious? And I just, you know, I I have no sympathy for that type of situation because nothing ever permits you to put your hands on someone or to shoot someone. And then for people to try to strip Megan of her femininity, like, well, she's she's 5'10 and he's only 5'2. We don't know what she did. You know, she's a big woman. She, she might have been beating his ass. Like, that is disgusting, y'all. Like, who the fuck raised y'all? Like, seriously? For y'all to sit there and 
strip her of any compassion or empathy about what she had to endure behind getting shot by this little motherfucker and then for y'all to sit there and say that she's uh she's too big to have experienced that kind she's you know too physically large to experience that kind of pain well if she's as tall she's so tall then why come she didn't fight back against him that's disgusting y'all like for real like seriously and then i mean let's not even just talk about tory lanes is problematic as fuck anyways like he's already he's he's you know shown signs that he's had some type of like napoleon complex for like a really long time at this point so i'm just kind of like you know at some point we have to start piecing things together and i really honestly i really can't wait for everything to come out through the legal process and through the court so that we can really see like what actually happened and but i'm gonna just say this like at some point we have to acknowledge the fact that this motherfucker during the week that the verdict was released about what was going to happen to the officers involved in the murder and the lynching of Breonna Taylor and we you know they're boarding up the downtown Louisville basically because they're like you know we kind of already know that they're not going to charge these officers then they announced they're not going to charge him they charge one of the officers out of the out of the multiple officers that are you know involved in this entire situation they charge one they don't actually charge him with anything that's like honestly very serious like he's facing like i think i read somewhere he's facing like a year or two maybe if they convict him which they probably won't um in the midst of all that happening we've been protesting since june because of george floyd because of ahmaud arbery because of brianna taylor and you know per usual the same people who are organizing these marches, who are really at the forefront calling for justice for black people are black women. Shout out to Tamika Mallory. And then we have this case where this black woman is literally shot in her home over some bullshit and nothing is essentially happening to the people who murdered her. Breonna Taylor was like, well, I think she was going to turn 27. She was younger than I was, than I am. She's going to turn, she was going to supposed to turn, I think 27 this year. That's disgusting. And then in the week of all this happening, we find out that she doesn't get any justice we're hurt black women feel like you know once again we go to bat for our communities we go to bat for the entire world and nobody ever looks out for us no one ever protects us no one ever gives us the grace to fucking be vulnerable or to be weak and then in the midst of all that happening in the midst of brianna taylor's uh murderers not really being held accountable for the atrocious acts they committed this motherfucker releases this trash ass album about megan and then i'm just like in the album which is deeply personal he starts revealing like and i i haven't listened to it listen let me tell you right now i have not listened to this shit i heard clips via the shade room and read some lyrics on rap genius which is what i suggest everyone do do not stream that bullshit in the midst of all that you know he's releasing all these like super personal details about their relationship and i kind of like you know honestly this is just like textbook gaslighting this is just like you basically i just and the way that he chose, like the 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 avenue in which he chose, you released the album, something that benefits you. You're literally profiting and benefiting from the trauma of a black woman. You know, black men, y'all do better. Y'all got to do better. Y'all got to do better for us because literally, we risk our lives. We risk everything to protect y'all. We risk everything to go and protest. We risk everything to basically go out and. Do everything we can to make sure that y'all are safe, that y'all can walk around the world with dignity, and no one ever extends that grace to us. And it's it's time for that to change because I refuse to live in a world where 
I continue to be treated like a second class citizen where my, my daughter, my two year old daughter, I, I just couldn't look myself in the face if I wasn't fighting for a world where I felt like she could walk around with dignity and where she could feel protected, especially by members of her own community. Like we know the world don't give a fuck about us. We know that. We know the systems, the institutions, uh, the legality of this country. We know that. We know that they don't give a fuck about us. We know culture doesn't, society doesn't. But why, you know, at some point, our communities have to be actual communities that actually protect and serve ourselves. And I think that's all I'm going to say about that for now. Um, I definitely want to touch back. As I talk about colorism this season, I'm definitely going to be intertwining a lot of different topics that pertain to pop culture because I really believe that the personal is political and we can't talk about these really complex ideas like colorism and racism and white supremacy without talking about the ways that they are manifested in our in our culture our society and the systems in which we live and I think pop culture specifically is always a really good place to start um, and a place to really dive into some of the ways that we see colorism and white supremacy in particular being perpetuated. So on my Instagram this past week, I posted a few slides. I actually wanted to post more, but life got in the way. Um, I posted a few slides talking about some different phrases that I'm going to be using. So I'm actually going to pull that up really fast on my phone while I'm recording with y'all, just so I can kind of read those to y'all. But three terms in particular that I'll be using a lot. Um, damn, what's going on with my phone? Oh, let's see. Three terms that I'll be using a lot. Really? Yeah. So colorism. Colorism. Let's give colorism an actual definition because I think a lot of the time um, colorism is like almost like a racism where people who are in societal and cultural positions of power think that they can experience racism like white people you don't experience racism um sorry you don't you can experience prejudice um and people being prejudiced against you for various reasons but you don't experience racism because racism is a system and colorism functions the same way so the definition for colorism is prejudice or discrimination against individuals with a dark skin tone typically among people of the same ethnic or racial group so, unfortunately, all of my light-skinned brothers and sisters, you don't necessarily experience colorism the way that you think you do. Um, and we're going to really spend a lot of time talking about that and breaking that down and debunking that this season because colorism specifically is a type of oppression and discrimination that darker-skinned people experience um, it's being excluded like out of systems and out of places and spaces because of the fact that they're darker and because they have less proximity to whiteness than lighter skinned black people do. And we're going to spend a lot of time talking about that this season because I think a lot of the time in the past when I have talked about colorism, like the very first season of this show, I did a series on colorism. Like I think it was a three or four part series. And I invited dark skinned women. I invited light skinned women and I invited black men. Um, and we all talked in these roundtable discussions about what colorism is. And a lot of the time, I think the conversations that we had on the podcast that first season were a lot more productive than I have seen conversations about colorism in other spaces and places. Because almost always, I feel like when we talk about colorism and we talk about how it affects people in the black community, it always comes down to, well, my feelings were hurt. 
and I'm not going to sit here and mince words with y'all. It's almost always, well, I was bullied for being light-skinned and having long hair. And people didn't like me because of that. And that, while that is unfortunate and while your feelings are absolutely valid, that's not what colorism is. I'm sorry, it's not. Colorism specifically is a type of oppression pushed onto dark people across across races because people in Latinx communities experience colorism. Colorism is huge in Asian cultures, um, but it is literally a system of oppression and, ex- and exclusion against darker skinned people because they don't have the same level of proximity to whiteness as lighter skinned people within their community. And um, let me also say, because I'm about to jump into my next definition, that is a direct result of white supremacy. Is it perpetuated by us in our own communities? Yes. But then so again is white supremacy. White supremacy is a tool that honestly, um, one of my professors once told me that oppression often births more oppression. And I kind of, at the time I was like, oh, that makes sense. Like, you know, when you're fighting against oppression or if a certain group of people is fighting against oppression within that group, there will be people whose voices are prioritized over other people's. And that's definitely one part of it. But what I think also what this professor meant to really get to the root of is that oppression is cyclical. It circles through, it continues to kind of like magnify, it affects us in different ways. It never just truly goes away. It continues to rebirth itself and fester in new and creative ways. So I want to jump into the next definition that um, I shared on my Instagram. By the way, that's at the Slay Less Show on Instagram. I also have a Facebook page, the Slay Less Show. And I have something else really cool that's about to pop up that I can't talk about until it actually happens. So it is what it is. So the next... Uh, Oh, let me see. I'll do that one last, actually. The next one I want to talk about is, yeah, actually, systemic racism. So systemic racism, the definition for this is the systems in place that create and maintain racial inequality in nearly every facet of life for people of color. So make no mistake about it, colorism is a type of, in part of what we would call systemic racism as far as the way that it perpetuates itself, the way that it disadvantages darker-skinned people, Um, And excludes them from opportunities to socially mobilize upward to um, have cultural spaces and places where their voices can be magnified and heard. Um, That definitely is part of colorism is definitely a part of systemic racism. Um, And I also want to make a note of this in talking about this. uh, Systemic racism Although colorism exists within the black community and it privileges some black people over other black people, we are all victims of systemic racism in the way that it attacks us. Even if we haven't like personally been disadvantaged in a very large way or feel or feel like we've been disadvantaged, it still exists. Um, And I never thought this would be the case, but I've actually had a hard time sometimes explaining that to people because especially black people who are well off or who grew up a certain way or who grew up in certain areas or regions. I remember my first semester teaching women's and gender studies at the University of North Texas. I had a student, a little black boy who was like, I don't really feel like I've ever experienced racism. And so I spent some time with him and this was a fruitful endeavor for me because when it was all said and done, he understood and he got it. I was like, you know, Systemic racism isn't necessarily someone coming up to you and calling you a nigger or telling you they can't date your daughter. You can't date their daughter because you're black um, or 
won't not, you know, not necessarily like it's not um, those very personal racist interactions where someone is calling you names or someone is attempting to attack you or cause you bodily or physical harm. It's is in it's within the systems and the institutions in which we practice our everyday lives. So it's you, you know, going into a bank and not being able to get a home loan because or, you know, your credit having to be super, super high in comparison to white people or your white counterparts because you're black. It is uh, you going to compete for a job and you being very qualified or having to be overqualified in order to get that job um, in comparison to someone who isn't black. It definitely is. Um, what else? Like, what's another example I could use? Um, gosh, I feel like you know, it's it's the it's the legacy of Black people not having a whole lot of financial and capital wealth in this country because for so long we were kept completely out of those institutions. We were kept from being able to you know engage in that kind of money making power. All those things are examples of what systemic racism are and I forgive me for not having better examples because I feel like we could go on for forever talking about examples of systemic racism and we will spend a lot of time talking about that um this season and the ways in which it ties into colorism because colorism people don't really get it and they don't really understand that it's not just your hurt feelings it's not just you know people bullying you for being dark or you know being light or whatever the case is Colorism is systemic. Colorism is, you know, there are definitely systemic parts of colorism as far as like, you know, dark skinned people being more likely to get, you know, larger and longer prison sentences. Like that shit is real. And like, you can't sit there and deny colorism when we have fucking statistics and facts and science behind this shit that says it's real. And you don't want to admit that because, you know, like, like, just like white people don't want to admit that they have privilege. And I'm not saying that you enact your privilege in a way that is detrimental and harmful to other people. I'm just saying you have it. And the sooner that you can acknowledge that, the sooner we get to being to a healthy place where we can honestly and openly talk about white supremacy in the way that it functions. All right. What's my next definition? Let's see. Let's see. Cultural racism. This one I like a lot because this one also is systemic, but this is when we really get to talk about the shits, the shits I like to talk about. Cultural racism. When the ideas that the dominant culture is founded upon shape norms, values, beliefs, and standards to advantage white people and oppress black and indigenous people of color. Absolutely. I mean, it's, this is cultural racism is the reason growing up, I never saw a dark-skinned woman like me that looks like me reach the same level of you know celebrity stardom that Beyonce has reached. And make no mistake about it, I'm the fucking president of the Beehive. I'm Beyonce till we die, till she die, till I die, whatever. But also, I want to be very clear that um, while we have, like, this is a great way to talk about this, actually. While we have black entertainers, they are all along the same color skin tone spectrum. The ones that have reached super, super high levels of success. And I do not think that it's a coincidence that um, all these women are on that lighter spectrum. That absolutely is because the systems in which they work are more willing to privilege lighter black women over darker black women, give them more opportunities. And like I said, even those black women, those lighter black women are still in a system of white supremacy where they're still not as revered and still not as respected and still not paid as much as their white counterparts. 
Like, I, for the world, don't understand how anybody can sit there and, like, doubt the star power of motherfucking Beyonce. Beyonce, Giselle Carter, no, or Noel Carter, excuse me, I can't believe I butchered her name. Forgive me, Beyonce, but still. Um, and people will sit there and, well, she's really not, you know, she's not that really, she's really not that great. Like, boo, check her credentials. Beyonce has made it and then some. Like, she's it. She's as big as a star as you could pretty much be. But there are people who still try to downplay her contributions to the music industry, to art, to culture, because she's black. And then you have to look at the fact that she is black, but she also is a lighter skinned black woman who has origins in Houston, Southern Louisiana, where there's a huge Creole population, which her mother is. And you have to look at the fact that in many ways she has benefited from her lighter skin tone. That's just the truth. That doesn't mean she doesn't work hard. That doesn't mean she doesn't deserve what she has. She absolutely has worked very fucking hard, deserves everything she has, has had to work so much harder than her white counterparts just for the same level of success and recognition. But uh, like I said, growing up, I never saw a black woman that looked like me in that same position. I actually, I remember being 13 and making a conscious decision to love myself um, and love my skin, my dark, deep brown skin, and having to literally go seek out women that look like me. And the very first woman that I was like, oh, she's like brown. I remember the very first one thinking to myself, Naomi Campbell. Then there was Bria Miles. Then there was the girl, what is her name? She was in the Bronx, a Bronx tale. And then she was a singer in the 90s, Terrell Hicks. She was also in Belly, I think, too, if I'm not mistaken. The movie Belly, which is like a hood classic. If you've never heard of it, you should watch it. Definitely a good movie. Um, and all these things, you know, I had to like literally go out, like Kelly Rowland. Uh, what's the girl that's in the front music video with Pharrell? I can't remember her name. I follow her on Instagram. I can't remember her name. But if you've ever seen the music video front, his one of his lead girls, like this really, really pretty dark skinned girl. And I've had so many men actually tell me like it, like when I've talked about colors and be like the first time I ever really like realized that dark skinned girls were beautiful was when I watched that music video and I saw her and I was like, damn, like she's actually legitimately pretty like not because she's like pretty to be a dark no she's legitimately beautiful and I thought that was so cool and um I think when we talk about cultural racism we have to talk about the ways in which black skin is appropriated because I also see this trend in pop culture and you know much of this I think I don't like them I'm not I'm not I'm you know kind of like just really at this point over them but uh the kardashians and i think cultural appropriation that conversation really should be discussed also through a lens of colorism because there is this instagram aesthetic where people are black fishing in order to look like light-skinned black women and i think that that is really interesting because they want to look like light-skinned but they don't want to look too black but they want to look black enough to where they can receive the benefits of, you know, the black aesthetic being cool. Because let's just face it, like black people, bitch, we are pop culture. We are the cool. We are the cool. We set the standard for what is cool. We set the standard for like so much shit, fashion, hair, beauty, all that shit. A lot of it is steeped, like deeply, deeply rooted music pop culture just music in general and deeply rooted into black culture and black customs and black traditions and I always have found it really interesting that when we talk about cultural appropriation we talk about black fishing we talk about 
these women pretending to be black or, you know, purposely plumping their lips, their asses, their boobies, wearing weaves, uh, tanning, like, you know, all that shit is steeped in like cultural appropriation. And it's, it's, you know, they're, they want to look racially ambiguous enough to look like light skinned black women to receive those benefits of being cool, but also not look too black so that they don't ever have to experience all the trauma that also comes with being black. And that to me is also what's so insulting about that. Like you want, you want to cherry pick what you want out of a culture, out of a racial aesthetic, because you want to be cool, but you have no respect for the things that people who actually live in these bodies have to endure. Like for instance, I'm oh, sorry, my alarm. I'm a dark-skinned black woman. No one can ever look at me and think I'm anything else but black. That's just that. That is just that. And I think when I talk about that and when I come to that realization, that is such a beautiful thing for me because I am black and I experience and I get to participate in all the different things about black culture, but I can also never escape black culture. I can't, you know, get a tan and then go stay inside and I'm going to lighten back up. I look white again, or I look, you know, I look not black again. I can't change really anything about myself, about my hair to like deduce or take away from my blackness I am what I am and I will always be that my daughter will always be that and there's no escape for us and I think that's what's so insulting is that people will adopt and adapt and basically colonize blackness for their profit and that's I think that's a really good way to talk about it they colonize blackness the Kardashians are colonizers of blackness yeah they colonize blackness um to put themselves in a position to reap the benefits. But when it's all said and done, like, you know, they don't have to experience any of the trauma that comes with being black, that comes with being dark, being a dark-skinned black person, a dark-skinned woman. And lastly, because I'm, I'm, I'm approaching the 30-minute mark and I only want my opener for the season to be 30 minutes to kind of give you an introduction um we have to talk about colorism and we have to talk about gender um and we definitely will this season amongst other things colorism disability colorism and socioeconomic status uh colorism and dating colorism in the workplace these are all things that i am currently researching writing about really getting into the meat of because this is what i am dedicating my academic pursuits to but colorism functions differently for black men and for black women it does um what's crazy is like i've noticed this last trend the last like couple years where like dark-skinned men are like it baby and i I love it like i love dark-skinned men um i had a baby with one but i also think and this is just me kind of like just is different though it's different right because i feel like dark-skinned men the same reason that people love dark-skinned men is the same reason that they hate dark-skinned women it has a lot to do with our ideas of what is masculine and what is feminine 
So they love dark-skinned men because dark-skinned men are like peak masculinity. Like, oh, he's dark. He has dark-ass skin. Oh, he's a man. Oh, he's strong. Oh, he has muscles. His dick is probably huge. Um, all these different things that are stereotypical things that people have said. I've literally legitimately heard people say about dark-skinned men, about um, their sexual stamina, their physical strength. Um, shit, I've, I've even heard... I've heard... I literally legitimately... One of my sorority sisters, she's not my line sister, but she is a Delta, actually had the nerve to say, I had to check her ass too, had the nerve to say she was like, <laughs> this bitch had the nerve to say, she was like, I, I, you know, I love, I love fucking dark skinned men. She's like, I would never have a baby with one, so I don't want my, my kid to have nappy ass hair. And I remember it was a table of us, and we just like sat there and like took turns basically firing this bitch up and being like, no, dumbass, like you don't get to say shit like that. Like you don't get to take away somebody's humanity and their dignity by saying you'd fuck them, but you wouldn't have kids with them. And I don't care if, you know, I feel like I hear shit like that about women more than I do about men. But I was like, I was shocked that she said that. And she let that shit slip out of her mouth in front of me, no less, because I'm not with that. I'm with all the shits. I'm going to correct you every fucking time. But also, um, the same reason that people like dark skinned men is the same reason they hate dark skinned women. Like dark skinned women are stereotyped and portrayed as aggressive, as angry. And all these things, you know, are used against us where I honestly feel like no matter what, whoever you are, you have a right to be, you know, if you're straightforward, you have a right to in some in some in some nature and in some to some extent be aggressive or angry. But I feel like that's definitely weaponized against dark skinned women. Um, dark skinned women are either completely sexualized or asexualized. I've experienced both in my lifetime, having my sexuality, my femininity snatched away from me and then having my sexual sexuality hyper like being like hypersexualized because of my dark skin, because of my shapely body, all these different things. And um, we are approaching the 30 minute mark. So I hope this was a good intro. I'm going to wrap up and in the future, I will do a better job at closing out. And because I am now recording my podcast here at the house, y'all will be getting them every two weeks instead of once a month. So I cannot wait to see you guys again. I will see you more than likely. Let's see, because I actually plan to be releasing these podcasts on Saturdays. So I will see y'all. Huh, that's a week. Uh, that's technically. Yeah, I'll see y'all on the 10th of October. Yeah, at noon. So y'all take care. Um, be safe. Practice self-care. Have you some wine, exercise, pray. Everything that you have to do to maintain your health and your peace. I love you guys and I will see y'all later.